Show number 13 of I Read Comics, just in time for Halloween. Yes, it's another comics podcast, and the big difference is, I'm doing it, and I'm a girl. That's right, a girl that reads comics. My name is Lena Taylor, and I read comics. I love Halloween. It's a great holiday where you get to dress up and eat lots of candy, and you don't have to give people presents. Christmas is coming up, and I'm going to be in such a bad mood. Anyway, I mentioned last time that there was a good Halloween cartoon special on the Cartoon Network called Scary Godmother. And, in fact, there's a lot of cartoon Halloween things on around this time, which is a surprise, because there didn't used to be that many of them. Lots of Christmas ones, but hardly any Halloween ones. Um, Of course, the original one was It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which was on in 1966, and that was the third of the Peanuts specials that were on, and that was wonderful. It continues to be wonderful. They still show it on TV. I was just delighted to see that in addition to um, regular episodes of a series like Spongebob and and other things, that there are actual Halloween specials like whole half-hour shows or even hour shows that have to do with Halloween. There was a, a really good Halloween one for The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy that I liked quite a lot. To get back to the topic at hand, Scary Godmother 2 is on this year. The first one was on last year, and this was something that was developed by Jill Thompson. And in this episode, we have a nice, long interview with Jill Thompson. Longer than I thought it would be, but we were having such a good time, and she was being so chatty, I just decided to let it go. So I'll come back at the end to wrap things up, but please enjoy this interview with Jill Thompson, comic artist extraordinaire. So I would like to welcome Jill Thompson to the show. Um, for all of you people who have been listening to my show, this is my first actual real interview with an actual real famous person, and I'm very excited about it. Um, Jill is a wonderful artist who has done mainstream comics, and she's done some independent stuff. And today we're mostly going to be talking about Scary Godmother 2, which is her new animated special that's currently on Cartoon Network. They're showing it like uh, every day or every other day or something like that. They've been showing it a lot. Um, oh, good. It's really good. So Jill is drinking some coffee. She's Fixing coffee. I'm sitting here drinking some iced tea. So we're just going to have a cozy little chat to talk about art. A little cozy autumnal kind of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so um, first thing I wanted to ask you was, how did you get to translate Scary Godmother from print into animation for the first special that was a year ago? How did that all come about? Oh, you say get as in like I said, hey, everyone, <laughs> you should make this into a cartoon now. Um, well, let's see. Uh, kind of a long process just because it was out last year um it had actually been out in canada and everywhere else i think in the world uh for a year before it hit television uh on cartoon network 
in the U.S. last year. Um, okay, well, so let's see. How does that timeline so, go? Who first approached you about this? Well, um, I was approached uh, by Mainframe in, like, 1998, mm-hmm. the, the year that uh, I, think my, I think I had one book out and one more book going to come out, and um, they were interested in optioning uh, Scary Godmother for a series on television mm-hmm. um, for animation. Then, uh, you know, well, a lot of things, but nothing happened uh, on television with it. And um, I ended up do- doing a, uh, a, a play here in Chicago with a small theater, children's theater company called Runamuck Productions. And uh, we adapted kind of like the first Scary Godmother story mm-hmm. for one hour of children's theater. Ah. Uh, the, the director and, and you know, co-collaborator uh, Heath Corson had uh, been a fan of Scary Godmother and approached me, I forget, I think it was in 2000, to uh, see if it was possible to be able to put on uh, a play. So in 2001, in September and October of 2001, we put on 26 performances of wow. a Scary Godmother uh, children's play, which was wonderful. I mean, it was just, I was like the ultimate uh, stage mom yeah. and the fact that <laughs> the production was my baby and not the star of the show. <laughs> and I helped, I, I designed sets and painted things and made props and um, generally goofed it up with everybody involved and just thought all the performances were great. And then it was that performance that um, both Keith and I eventually adapted for one hour of television, which mm-hmm. then everyone sees as the cartoon on Cartoon Network. Right. How interesting that, that it made that transition to live action first before going to animation, because it's usually not that way. It's usually straight from the comic book right to something. Well, all that kind of stuff ends up um, you know, the technical and legal reasons that that happens is I retain stage play and, mm-hmm. and rights, so it's like you know you, you kind of do. It's it's almost easier to do things on a small mm-hmm. scale than it is a yeah. large scale, you know, because the company all they had to do was call and say, you know, hey, we would love to do this play. Would you like to be involved in it? And it's like, hold on, let me look at my contract. Oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so and that would be a lot of fun. And um, yeah. I love theater, and I mm-hmm. used to do improv and um, and stuff like that. So it was kind of... And I had never expected to see my characters um, come to life, but I, it's one of my favorite experiences ever oh, was to see that play. And then to take that and then to work with Zeke Norton on, on the, uh, the first scary, the mm-hmm. first scary Godmother animated thing was just like, then that was an entirely different most excellent experience ever. <laughs> um, I, I, it was just, and that was also a very small experience because at the time we actually made the first show. It uh, it it hadn't been purchased, you know, by a, by a mm-hmm, network mm-hmm. or um, or anything. So Mainframe was just making it, and um, because they own the television rights, so right. they were making the you know like a one hour special and. 
eventually it sold. So it was kind of like the director and I were working on our own private little cartoon <laughs> with a handful of animators, and we were just doing this wonderful little labor of love. Yeah. So for the animated show, did you draw equally from what you had already done in the book and from the stage play as far as things like costuming details and, and props and stuff, or was it mainly back to the book to get to the animated show? Well, the, well, the costuming um, is what the, the characters have always worn. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was from the original books um, and the comics, just what the characters wear. Um, and then the props were, that's all, let's see, both the production, the mainframe production and the play production had, you know, similar aspects. You know, it's like the more sets you have to build, the more expensive mm-hmm, things become. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and uh, the venue that we performed the play in had to be one, it had to stay on one stage. So we had to figure out... Uh, how to change venues in a one-hour children's play without any intermission because usually you don't do that in kids because there's no you know attention span uh, you don't want to change get it you know kids think it's over when the lights go mm-hmm, out right kind of a thing little kids um, so we had to change locations without leaving the space at all and use one location that functioned as scary godmother's house and exterior locations and we used the actual audience. Um, as, you know, neighborhood, and we had the actors, you know, exit one part of the stage and then come in from the entrance, Mm -hmm. so it would seem like different areas and put different lights on. So, uh, and that was something I never thought of, because in comics you have a very unlimited budget. Right, right, of course. It's how long you were willing to work on a drawing or page or illustration, and you can make something on one page that would be the equivalent of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. if it was TV or movies. Um, so subsequently when we started working on the, the animated show, we couldn't change a lot of locations because you couldn't build a lot of sets. Mm-hmm. So we had to make one, like one location serve double duty. We could have exterior, we could have, um, an interior and then change the lighting and rendering on the interior of the spook house, which then became scary godmother's house because then that would mm-hmm. also work as, um, you know, a transformation of magic, you know, like this spooky old house has now become her house mm-hmm. with magic. Um, but that was kind of um, a monetary and a budgetary limitation, which turned out to be an advantage. Yeah. So, um, and then I designed, so I just, I had learned about the set that I had designed for the play, you know, it was like, uh-huh. okay, what can I do to make it so everyone can see it from every angle? So when we were doing the show, I tried to design something where you could have as much in that room as possible that you would need for Scary Godmother's house and yet could be spooky and wouldn't cost too much and we would be able to use later uh, for subsequent shows because you're st- then what, what happens there is you're establishing a prop that can't be changed mm-hmm. because it's, you know, with me I can change Scary Godmother's living room every time I want to because it'll still read in the comic as this is her house. It doesn't matter if all the furniture looks different because you just know that it's her furniture. Mm-hmm. But when you build something that costs money, you have to figure out how much do I really like, you know, I have to like the, the way I've designed this, the way it looks, the color scheme, so they can use it and reuse it and reuse it and reuse it. Right. So I'm, I'm going to just explain to people who might not have seen it on TV, and if you haven't seen it, you're an idiot. You should definitely go and find it and watch idiot. it. <laughs> Because it's great. I mean, it's wonderful animation, and and it's it's a 
it's different from a lot of the animation that's on Cartoon Network, and I don't mean in a bad way. I just mean it's different in that it's a little more low-key, and it's it's not so fast and loud. It's kind of more um, magical and fairy-like, which you don't see a lot of on TV cartoons these days, and I love that about it. Um, so the story, very briefly, is about a little girl named Hannah who um, ends up in a scary house because a trick is being played on her, and she finds her scary godmother like her fairy godmother who uh, makes it all okay and introduces her to to some funny, scary characters who make Halloween really special for her, and now she forevermore has a scary godmother who will take care of her. That's oh, pretty that's much the story, right? That's a good sum <laughs> up. Yeah, that's that's the first one. That's the first and one. That kind of sets the premise, right? Um, she also has a she has a stinker of a cousin, right. Named Jimmy, who uh, is tired. You know, he's fed up with the fact that his his mom has made him take his cousin, the baby, along. Right. right. So he cooks up this idea with his uh, his pals, and not so much. Um, they all come up with it as much as they pretty much go along with what Jimmy says. Because mm-hmm, he's a bully. Uh, <laughs> I love Jimmy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you have to have a good bully. And he's not so much as a bully as he's uh, he's very self-involved. He, he is. He, he, he's he cares the, much more about himself than he does anybody else. So right. And he turns he, out okay at the end in both of them. I mean, you don't hate him at the end and wish bad things to happen. You just think... Because uh, this, yeah. uh, this baby's slowing him down. And, you know, mm-hmm. how the heck is he supposed to get candy if he's got to drag, you know slow pants back there along with him mm-hmm. and she's all going to be scared so if she was really scared and she wanted to go home it'd be her idea mm-hmm. right oh and then we could get all the candy we want so it's kind of one of those like little rascals yep. kinda, or three stooges ideas where it's like all right you guys here, this is how everything goes I'm like, okay <laughs> one of the things i loved about it is after they they put her in the house and they're outside waiting for her to come out screaming and they get really really bored and they're just kind of standing around like kids do, going, I'm bored, I want to do this, and let's leave, and let's play stupid games. And it, it's very realistic in that that's what, you know, you're waiting for the trick to turn out the way it's supposed to, but it's not, and you don't know what to do, and you're just kind of, you know, twiddling your thumbs. Was, I have to it, say, that was, um, you know, when uh, Heath Corson and I collaborated on adapting that. I mean, that was one of his his greatest strengths. I really liked working with him. I thought we played, we, we worked well with each other mm-hmm. because he... Um, you know, I would say, okay, this, you know, this is what this guy's like, and this, he has to do this, and he, and, and he would write a bit, and then I would, you know, laugh really hard, hard about it, and then add something to it, and I was like, oh, okay, well, no, wait, no, Daryl would say this, and then, you know, so it was really a good back and forth, and when he had that, that he always had such a good handle on the characters, yeah. and he, um, you know, my favorite part, I think, out, out there was when, you know, it's kind of dawning on him, you know, mm-hmm. and the one of the things I put in the, the first book was, when reality dawns on them, it's not so much as, oh, my gosh, we've left her in there where she may have fallen through a rotten floor. You know, all the realities mm-hmm. of, you know, putting someone, let, putting a little kid in an abandoned house that should never, ever be done right. by anyone, <laughs> anywhere. I'm not advocating doing kind of mean tricks. But the fact that we are going to get into so much trouble. <laughs> yep. if, so, if she disappears forever, I'm grounded for life. Exactly. And it's all your fault, Jimmy. Why did I listen to you? You know, that kind of... Yep. Every man for himself, and and I just kept picturing, you know, like kids running willy nilly back and forth. And gosh, when we did the, the when we did the um, the animation, like Zeke had everybody, like they're all running around. And the one thing I actually asked for is Jimmy's got to totally do. He's really got to smack some sense back into him, so he's got to throw one of those Mo from the Three Stooges. <laughs> You know, all right, you guys, and then they and and I asked, could I please have the coconuts clacking together sound when he smashes them into each yep. other, and, and then they realize, and then it's like now you know they're kind of 
snaps back into reality. Yeah, oh, it was it was great. It was really wonderful. Um, let me ask you a little bit about the voices that um, were for the characters. Did you have any say in who got cast in those different roles? Yes, I did. And, and um, did they end up sounding I, like you thought they would? Um, let's see. Uh, well, I, I guess I had my trial by fire with the with the play. Everything you know was so strange uh, when I was sitting there, and we were casting actors to play Scary Godmother. Now, like, I'd never heard anybody's perfect voice in my head before. I kind mm-hmm. of had an idea of what they sounded like, but I guess they kind of all always sounded like me because it was my <laughs> own head. Uh-huh. You know, I, was, I knew the kind of timber and the cadence of their voices, but I didn't really know what they would sound like if they actually had vocal cords. And then when we were trying to cast actresses, it was funny um, when we cast the character of Bugaboo, Heath brought in this guy that he had worked with, an actor that he'd worked with, who had he thought would be much more, uh, you know, he was very hairy-like in his appearance. Mm-hmm. He was heavier, and he kind of had a, a, five, a big five o'clock shadow, and he kind of looked like, you know, he would play a great Oscar Madison if it was the odd couple. Mm-hmm. And the minute he opened his mouth, it's like, no, that's Bugaboo. That's exactly Bugaboo. <laughs> and then this really slender actor came in, um, and I don't remember who he was reading for, but he was exactly Harry, and, and uh, <laughs> his voice always now is is, is Harry, this guy, this guy Keith. Um, so, actually, I think what happened was Zeke had used, and the producers had used the voices that already existed on the tape of the play mm-hmm. as something to go by. Not necessarily they were trying to find people who sounded exactly like that because I don't think anyone on the uh, in the cartoon sounds like the actors in the play, but they they're doing a certain type of character voice, mm-hmm. and I thought they were they were great. And the the girl that Tabitha Saint Germain that played Scary Godmother, everyone had this attitude when they came in to play Scary Godmother. You just hear it in everybody's voice. They would they would throw a Fairy Godmother voice out there like. Hello, everyone. I'm the Odyssey Godmother. You know, it was like Uh very Glenda the Goodwitch. Everyone wanted to do that. And I would be like, no, 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 no. And I couldn't explain it. And then in the background, I said, well, who's I talking? And they, oh, that's me, me, Tabitha. And I was like, do your regular voice. Just be very animated. You sound perfect like a (laughs) Godmother. So, um, So it was, I got to give, you know, when we were doing auditions, I got to give voice direction over the phone. And then as far as the children's voices were concerned, um, everyone at Mainframe had picked through, they went, picked through, not like a bag of apples, but, (laughs) you know, they had um, gone through all the casting agencies and the voice talent agencies that they dealt with and found, like, a certain amount of children that were appropriate for Mm -hmm. each voice and would send me a CD and then ask my opinion and I would send them emails back or talk to people on the phone or we'd have a conference call and, you know, pluck them out, the ones that sounded right. They're, they're wonderful voices. Uh, the kids all did a great, great job. And um, I like the fact that the, the voices for the Scary Godmother characters themselves are very distinctive. So in, in just listening to them, I would close my eyes and kind of listen to them. And I love the fact that the Scary Godmother sounds a little bit like she's from Minnesota almost. She's got this, not like Glinda the Good, like totally opposite from that, but just kind of, um, you know, very caring and very loving, but a little bit scattered. You know, she's got too much stuff going on all at one time. 
which is just great. And um, I thought that the um, Mr. Pettibone, the, the skeleton, that voice is so wonderful, and it reminded me of a cross between... Um, in the Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan, when he's playing the gatekeeper of Oz, and also mm-hmm. a little bit of Ed Wynn thrown in there, too. And now, it, it's a do, wonderful do your Ed Wynn voice for me. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> okay, because so, here's the thing. Uh, you, okay, uh, let's see. Basically, what Scott was working on was a lovely actor named Thomas Colby, who did uh, Mr. Pettibone here in Chicago. And he did this. It was this kind of Paul Lind slash... A character Mel Blanc did once on the on a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Uh-huh. I don't know if anybody remembers this Bugs Bunny cartoon, where it's kind of in a department store. Oh, and, the, the Great um, Gildersneeze, of the course. Great Gilder, the Great Gildersneeze. <laughs> that's it. Like that's what I would do. I would say, okay, you got to do. You know, it's when Bugs Bunny goes. It's the Great Gildersneeze, and yeah. I'm like, well, who, what actor are they calling that? Is his name the Great Gildersneeze, or is that what they're calling? That's a send up of that name. That was my only reference to that <laughs> actor. And I said, it's kind of got some of that in it. Uh-huh. And um, and he's supposed to kind of not have a southern accent, but he's kind of got this musical lilt from a friend of mine yeah. that nobody else knows. And so I'm trying to do the voice. It's like, well, he talks like this a little bit. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so Thomas pulled it all together. And then Scott heard that, and he just did something huge and over the top with it and we pulled him back in to get the Mr. Pettibone we've got now. It's great. It, they're just and man, wonderful. that guy can do a million voices. Uh-huh. I, uh, it's remarkable. They're really wonderful. Um, another interesting thing I noticed about the animation was that, um, so it's all CGI, right? Um, the characters themselves are very 3D looking, but the, uh-huh. the I don't want to say the sets, but the backgrounds often look really flat. And it's, I mean, it's a great effect. It's a mixture of 2D, yeah. 3D, and the 2D stuff, and even some of the stuff on the 3D characters. Um, and this is, see, you, know, you talked about calling me on your computer. <laughs> some really smart person out there. Um, a lot of the sets were rendered with my watercolor paintings. Oh, interesting. So uh-huh. I understand the premise of scanning in my original artwork because I did a lot of original artwork specifically for things that Zeke would need, like we need a forest of trees. We need a background because mm-hmm. I painted some backgrounds for the very first one. But then once they had those pieces of original art, um, they could choose, I guess, as a paintbrush or however you would do it to wrap a structure mm-hmm. in the paint. So something, I remember the first time I saw something that was fully rendered, and it did bring a tear to my eye. Um, it was at the beginning of the third act of the very first show. It was the exterior of Scary Godmother's house when the pizza's being delivered. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that looks like I painted it, but I can touch it. Oh. It's a 3D painting I did that I know I've never yeah. done. Oh, that's How did amazing. that happen? Because the same kind of, there are watermarks in it, and mm-hmm. um, and you can see, you know, paper texture, and it has this amazing quality uh, and, and color choices that, that I would make and I kn- palette, things that I know that I actually probably painted on something, and they would pick a snippet of it and then somehow create a layer mm-hmm. or a wrapping or whatever <laughs> it's technically called. Um, and I really liked how that looked. Oh, it's, I thought it it's made it great. look really neat. Yeah, it looks like they're walking through, a, it looks like they're walking through paintings or illustrations or through a book and it, it adds to that magical feeling that you have. It just doesn't look like 2D and it doesn't look like 3D. It looks like something that's somewhere in between. It, well, I think it helps to make it look more like 
its original source material, mm-hmm. or at least have some of the quality. Because I mean, the reason that I never I didn't want to do Scary Godmother in two D animation is because I wanted it to be something that I personally didn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when animation came knocking at my door, I, more than one type came knocking, and um, I liked what mainframe. You know, they're they're real. What they showed me that they could do. Um, I thought that looked really cool, and I thought that was when I thought it was easier to do computer-generated <laughs> animation. I, I, I wish I would have known. Um, I wish I would have known that because you know, I don't know if it would have changed my mind. But it's just but as totally in a different way. <laughs> well, there would have been a lot more costume changes mm-hmm. in two D animation <laughs> because I didn't realize you had to build a new character each time someone has different clothing uh-huh. on. You can't just, I go, no, you just click the mouse <laughs> and clothes come on it. That's, t- I mean, literally, that's what I thought. Um, so so what we did, we're able to get, you know, we had, I had to choose, like, okay, well, Scary Godmother would be in the kind of costuming that we've always seen her in, just the black tutu and their tights and her hat and no fancy jackets or any extra mm-hmm. goofy things like I put on her in the comic. You know, she just kind of has, like, Scary Godmother line of clothing instead of just that first kind of tutu thing. So it's kind of her uh, her costume. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody else, and Mr. Pettibone, I think we, we actually put clothing on him. And uh, where 2D animators would just hate having to draw a skeleton over and over again, the 3D animators, you know, they had no problem. <laughs> it was, in fact, you know, that's easier than rendering hair or clothing. Mm-hmm, right, because there's I no texture. There's, yeah, and there's no wrinkles and folds. Uh-huh. Things don't have to flow. So it's like he was the best, he was the most favorite character to <laughs> animate because they had nothing else going on except right. like the wire structure to make a human being. Right, and they're saying, could you put him in more? Could you make the whole thing about him? Mm-hmm. We really like that. <laughs> so I didn't, um, you know, these are all things I learned and it was, it was fun to learn that. And, uh, you know, well, I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> um, so let me. So I wanted to ask you one very specific question. So Ackerman Forest, yeah, is that a joke? It has to be a yeah, joke, right? Okay, good. No. <laughs> no, it's not a joke. It's a pun. A pun. It's a pun. <laughs> okay. I, because I don't, I don't know if anyone laughed out loud when they heard that. That was just no. Okay. That was. I love all creepy things, okay. and you know, the whole Forey Ackerman thing. I thought, you know, well, that would be. Perfect. Well, I thought, that's where Harry lives. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, Ackerman Forest, ah, that's so funny. Oh, okay, well, good. I'm glad you left because, yeah. you know, when I first did it ages ago on a little tiny sign in, a, in the comic, <laughs> I thought that, um, you know, I was I, I laughed myself. I was, ha, 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 <laughs> that's my little joke, and it made me laugh, but, you know, who knows who picked up on it. I'm um, actually, one of the guys that used to work at Mainframe, he uh, went to meet for Yakman really? and um, had a picture taken with him and had sent me it. Oh wow! Had a, had some um, sign something for me, which I thought oh, was nice. that's awesome. Oh, that's so, so cool! I was like wow, so someone's paying attention to the detail. Yeah, um, and then one of the, the so the, the family of vampires. I love them, and, and I love Orson. He's so cute. Um, Don't they have good music? They have wonder. I was going to say in both of them, the music is great. It's really really wonderful. Um, it, it's totally appropriate, and it's cool Bob and Buckley jazzy. Made up fantastic. Oh. I love like rockabilly. Yeah. And, um, I, and like old, like kind of Keb Calloway mm-hmm. Halloween music. And I had this, and I don't know, I, I haven't been able to find it since the first show. So if anybody out there has a copy of this, I would more than appreciate a CD burned for me. The Halloween Stomp. 
<laughs> was a uh, Halloween compilation that had all this great music from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, or 20s, 30s, and 40s. Nothing was super jazzy or, well, well sorry, yeah, it was jazzy. Nothing was super rock and rolly uh-huh. at all on it. It was all old radio programs and um I think maybe the Andrews sisters were on there, and there was a British guy singing about the ghost of Anne Boleyn oh. and all this really cool stuff. And um, when I sent off my tape, because I had a tape, maybe maybe it just kind of got lost in mm-hmm. the shuffle. Um, but that was the kind of stuff I would point out certain songs on there and say, this is the type of music that I would like for this. I go, Scary Godmother, if she had a theme... I would really like it to be a lot more like Reverend Horton Heat esque. Yeah. You know, something like that or, or um, you know, maybe Brian Setzer E it's just like that. Yep. But if it was you know, if it was for you know, like with Danny Elfman or Munster's, you know, uh, minor octave or something, I go, I don't know if it will work with a minor octave. And that was the only time that all my like old band uh musical training came back and I thought, you know, if I really thought about it, I could probably compose something <laughs> because I do know about music because uh-huh. I was in the band, damn it. <laughs> I was like, but you know what? There's no way I'll ever be able to do it and there's no way of, for me of knowing if I would be actually recomposing something I heard somebody else do before. <laughs> yeah. So I sent off my suggestions and then Bob would send back stuff. Um, and like the first time it was difficult not, not. I mean, because Bob can, you know, write anything and do anything wonderfully. I think it was more like trying to explain what I wanted, mm-hmm. and um, he and him trying to interpret what he thought I wanted. So the first pass, I can say that we, it didn't like very much at all. And then it took just one more try to get him completely down the right path. And all this music from the second one it was like you never had to tell him another thing. Oh, it's great. Mean, he had because um, he talked to me at length about the characters and what type of you know, people they were, and especially with the vampires, everything I think there is focused on Max and all of his mm-hmm. kind of like silent film-esque looks. Yes, very much. So it's got like kind of, um, it sounds like one of those uh, player pianos. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I said a lot of Victrolas and and oboes for them, a lot, you know, something that sounds old-timey, but Ruby's all much more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to say, so the design for Max... Um, mm-hmm. He looks like um, a little bit of Nosferatu, but also some of uh, Edvard Munch, The Scream. He, his body looks very much like that painting to me, sort of oh. thin and curvy. I guess he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make a, I wanted to, let's see, capitalize, capitalize on the uh, posture of a vulture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always, I've always liked Nosferatu, like Max Schreck. I figured mm-hmm. I wanted... A vampire that I guess see it's it's hard to it's hard to explain succinctly now because everybody I designed I designed for a certain reason. So to me, the vampire family are this can sound bizarre is are a truly American family. <laughs> well, it, uh, in in the in the sense of Max is an immigrant. Yeah, exactly. From He's, the old world. Yeah. Ruby's first generation. She's like from the fifties. She's you know, like a 50s uh, horror hostess, but mm-hmm. she would have been born here before she turned. 
to a vampire, and Max is, uh, and and Orson's just the kid who happens to be a vampire. Oh, totally! I, I love the whole um, thing that Max is saying, where he's he's saying, "Oh, I really have to get with the times, and I have to be more modern." And it's it's great. I mean, it, his attempts at at being the modern parent or just like the real experience that, that people have had with their parents who were immigrants or first generation who were really trying to be hip and cool and you know that always makes you wince as a kid right oh god my parents are trying to be cool anything your parents do make you wince yeah. as a kid you don't have to be an immigrant <laughs> um, my nieces are testimony to that it's just, oh, but also I mean design wise you know I wanted Ruby to be beautiful but I wanted, you know, a beautiful, beautiful woman and, you know, all the qualities that I wanted to be when I was little, mm-hmm. you know, long, 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 long share hair and um, big blue eyes mm-hmm. and, you know, painfully thin and, uh, you know, just with the flowing dress because, you know, while all other little girls wanted to be a princess, I always wanted to be a gothic princess, <laughs> you know, because um, I've always liked Halloween. So, I mean... The weird thing is, is there's a little bit of me in each character, mm-hmm. um, things that I like, things that, you know, things I might be interested in. But graphically, the vampires are designed, um, Bugaboo is primary colored, mm-hmm. his, so his appeal as an eye-catching uh, device would be for toddlers. Now, this isn't something that I sat down and planned to do, but when I did scare but from a painter's perspective, I realized as I was designing them, this was afterwards, that Bugaboo is completely round and plush with, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't have much of a body. He could be a very good pillow or, or you know, a stuffed toy or whatever, but his colors are primary. He's gray. He's got, you know, yellow and red mm-hmm. eyes and blue head and a red tail and red lips and all this kind of stuff. Scary Yamada secondary colors. Um, she's orange, purple, and green. Mm-hmm. And... The vampires are black, white, and red. Right. <laughs> so they're an absence of color, technically. So they're black and white, and red would be, you know, almost symbolize the blood. So Ruby has red on her dress, but she's mostly black and white. Max is all black and white. Uh, Orson's little red eyes and scallop, you know, red stripes on his jerseys, whatever I do, I always mm-hmm. try and give him some kind of a sports jersey, but it's black, white, and red. I don't ever put them in any other colors. And they're not even a primary red. They're... Um, a lizard and crimson. So, <laughs> um, so the the design of them came from like, me, like what I wanted my vampires to be, not like you know uh, Bella Lugosi type of vampire. And then it just kind of came, you know, the, they're opposite of the other characters. They're like they're much taller. They mm-hmm. sometimes they're reptilian. The way they move can be almost snake like, mm-hmm. and that's like cobra esque yeah. technically. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm terrified of snakes. It's the only thing I'm... I, I mean, I can't even look at them in a book. So that to me, that's almost ironic that characters I love so much would have that kind of weird movement, sometimes look like they don't have bones or they have a million little tiny bones in their mm-hmm. body to make them bend the way they do. <laughs> and they're vulture-like and also bat-like, but they're love, loving and kind and sweet they, they're wonderful. to each other. I love the interaction between Orson and Hannah when they first meet, that they're kind of scoping each other out and, um, you know, saying, well, oh, isn't it weird that you're like this and isn't it weird that you're like that? And then there's sort of a beat and then it's like, okay, let's go play. And they just go and start running around and I like the way you see them in subsequent scenes kind of running through the rooms and playing with their own little games and it's it's very much the way kids can be when they decide that they're going to be friends with each other, all that stuff doesn't really matter, and they just go off and have a good time. 
that's what I was going for. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, that whole scene. Uh, I, I remember when we did it in the play. There was a lot more stuff going on in it. A lot more rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember peppering a few interactions in there, but that that whole meeting was. You know, uh, he had them, you know, circle each other in, uh, on the on the actual play floor. So we tried to mirror that. Mm-hmm. And the, the the strangest thing is, you know, an hour of television is not an hour of right. real time because you have 15 minutes of commercials or whatever. So we had to realize that, you know, there's actually quite a bit more in the play that we, we chopped out mm-hmm. and things that we rearranged just to try and make it work mm-hmm. for TV instead of, instead of the play. But I like that interaction because I just want, I mean, I've seen kids... You know, when kids are in their own home up to a certain point, you know, they pretty much are the masters of their own universe. And they meet another kid, and it's almost like two wild animals mm-hmm. having to size each other totally. up. Like, you know, who's the dominant personality here? Or, ooh, they're weird. Or, I'm afraid. Or, what am I supposed to do now? And then it's like, so they find the common yeah. the common bond between each other. And I guess the common bond was both that they're both children mm-hmm. instead of you're a human and you're a vampire. And, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? And it's like... Well, but we both can play. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, cool, let's go play. It's great. Um, so for the second one, for um, Scary Godmother 2, Jimmy's Revenge. <laughs> um, the Revenge of Jimmy? The Revenge of Jimmy. I was thinking... I didn't put that two in there. That was weird to see on the Cartoon Network when the kids were going, hey, come back to the premiere of Scary the Godmother 2. Yeah, like, they keep saying that. that. Yeah. I, I, it's I w- called The Revenge of Jimmy. <laughs> I always think of it as Jimmy's Revenge because it's it's more like the horrible movie titles where it's, you know, somebody's something. Anyway, um, so I... Well, t- <laughs> I, I actually, I, I titled it that because I always hated when um, George Lucas changed Revenge of the <laughs> Jedi to Return of the Jedi because he didn't because technically a Jedi would not right of course commit do revenge and I, I just was like sure he would <laughs> and so I just was like you know I'm gonna Jimmy would definitely you know definitely Jimmy would have of course revenge. oh of course revenge it, it's there's all- no there's there's no Jedi in that. No. Um, so I, I loved a lot of the jokes. It seemed to me that there were some more um, more overt jokes in here, and maybe that's just me not getting them in the first one. But um, when, when Jimmy had... Ian Boothby. <laughs> he, um, he, he, was the, the, he adapted the Revenge of Jimmy book, and he uh, I've worked with him before on some Simpsons comics. Uh-huh. He does a lot of writing for Simpsons, the Simpsons comics, mm-hmm. the Bongo comics. And I thought he handled, uh, you know, um, multi-character cast really well. And he throws a lot of jokes in there, visual and yeah. puns and wordplay. And I really like that type of stuff. So, you know, yeah, he, he brought that to Scary Godmother as well. It was great. So when, when Jimmy hatches his idea, and it, it's the Grinch. I mean, he just does a complete Grinch transformation, which was really wonderfully done. It was subtle, but it was really clear that it was there. That was so nice. Uh, and the whole thing kind of had a, um, a Grinchish feel to it, that he's trying to ruin a holiday, but they're not going to let him ruin it because there's more to it than just buying a costume. And the kids realize you can make your own costumes and you can make your own treats and, you know, you can make your Halloween. You don't have to go to the store and buy it, which was a really nice message. That's a lot. Well, I, you know, Prisoner or not, I love, you know, Martha Stewart magazine. <laughs> you know, I've always been one, like, I really, since I've been little, I like to make stuff. Mm-hmm. I like to make food. I like to make comics. I like to make things. I, I'm a very big, I don't know if craft is the right word, but I, I, 
I like homemade things. So, I mean, to, my, to me, it's like when you're getting ready for a holiday, it's what are you going to make for it? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes I see a lot of cool stuff in the store that I do buy. I mean, I buy a lot of holiday decorations and stuff, but I'm all about, you know, that one special thing that you're going to make. And it's always making a costume. I mean, I still make a costume. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just was something that, I wanted to hammer home because yeah. I don't know. Technically, after I've handed out my full-size candy bar to the ninth, you know, grocery store rack costume, mm-hmm. I would technically feel like Jimmy a lot. It's like I wish I had a marker to go and reflamable on all these costumes. So it's like someone has to sit down and think up a way to make yeah. it get a costume. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a good, it's a good interaction. So it, it's great. It's a great message, and and it's not um, delivered in a, a a forceful way. It's just in a oh, this is the way we could do it, and wouldn't it be fun if we did it that way? Which is much more natural and convincing, I think. Well, it's also more sometimes people just get into their head that there's one way of doing something mm-hmm. or anything. You know, I mean, it's not just kids. It's adults, too, and it's like they get so focused to going down one path that you forget that there are a lot of avenues yeah, yeah. to the end result. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm guilty of it a lot. Yeah, well, we all are. <laughs> but, um, so I just figured, you know, it was one of those things that kids just think, you know, well, we, you know, you get used to the same old routine. Mm-hmm. We buy our costumes, we buy our candy, and yeah. it's like, well, you know, there's this you know, we could make them. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, it's great. Um, because ha- you have to uh, eliminate, you know, the thing that they want for them to think outside the box. Yeah. Um, I liked the, um, the Oz jokes. Well, the, her feet under the house. That was hilarious. That was oh, so geez. funny. <laughs> it was just great. I really like that. And then, um, so tell me if this is a, an intentional joke when, when they're, um, when Scary Godmother is asking Hannah for help in order to save Halloween and she says, help us, Hannah, you're our only hope. Is that a story? Yeah, <laughs> It was so funny. I mean, you're not sure sometimes when you watch these unless, things. Like, uh, unless we can somehow be sued for that. Then no, it wasn't. And we don't, I don't know what you're talking Okay, about. all right. And um, I also really like, this isn't a joke, but it was just a funny thing. Um, when the house disappears, is it Harry who says, my comic books? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was great, my comic books. I never really thought of him as a comic book reader, but I'm glad he has his priorities straight. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing is, is what we had to do, seeing how we couldn't create everyone else's environment, um, people who ro- watch the, the the cartoons have no idea where Harry mm-hmm. lives, and they don't understand that he lives in a cave in Ackerman Forest with his gypsy fortune-telling mother, and he lives in a, a den in the in in the cave, and it's filled with comic books oh, and pizza boxes and collectibles. Um, <laughs> oh, he's a geek. And, he's a comic book geek. Great, oh, yeah. I love it. Ah. <laughs> oh, sure. All the He's got all the stuff I have in my house and more, yeah. and all the things that I hate, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got, and he's very, very um, specific about his favorite, uh, his his favorite comic book slash media passion. Uh, it's called the Spectral Six, and it's <laughs> a comic book that was made into a TV show, like a giant series of shows, kind of Star Trek esque. And um, he knows every single line to every single episode, oh, and uh, that's that's, that's really his 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 raison d'être, right? <laughs> it's um, because in the comics you'll see Hannah Norson go to over, go over to his house to help his poor put upon mother because mm-hmm. he's like he's you know Harry's my age, so you know he should have been long since out of the house and. He, he completely takes advantage of his poor mom. He and his mom are codependent on each other. 
far as like she she needs she wants someone to take care of, but she also wants to have a son who will be out of the house. Right, right. But she she you know doesn't know what to do with herself without him. If if anybody wants to pick up the trade paperback of Wild About Harry, that's a three issue miniseries oh, cool. that we compiled. That's a story about when Harry's mom kicks him out of the house. Oh, cool. And you learn. I mean, they have a better understanding of what Harry's all about. Okay. There than they would just by watching the cartoon, because on the cartoon, Harry's kind of a one-note caricature. Uh, You know, in the play, we brought out a a bit more of his comic book Mm -hmm. obsession, but uh, in the second one, it seemed like a lot of... The focus really turned on his gluttony, because he's... um, I always loved Jughead in Archie Comics. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, mostly because I liked to eat the same way Jughead did, but the fact that it was like it overpowered all other things to him. Mm. I also had a uh, I had a big love for Dagwood and his goofy Dagwood sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I think all of those little aspects uh, of my favorite characters kind of found themselves in my big fuzzy <laughs> fanboy. That's great. I'm gonna I'll find a link to that um, particular one and I'll make sure I put it in the blog. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, the transformation of Jimmy physically in that show, which I didn't really get until kind of three quarters of the way through, and I was like, oh, look, he's changing. Each time he does something evil, he becomes the thing he most fears. So I realized that, and, and by the end, he's looking pretty demonic. Was there a specific end point that, that he was going towards? Because he didn't look recognizable to me as a specific kind of devil. I mean, no. he's wearing his little devil outfit, but... No, he's just supposed to become horrible mm-hmm. okay as horrible on the outside as he's acting yeah. on the inside because he's trying to ruin everything for everybody and right. he's becoming evil um in the in the book the revenge of jimmy there's a bit more uh let's see voiceover explaining what and why mm-hmm. why he becomes evil yeah but i mean we, we tried to portray well even in the book i, I tried to mention you know like the, the off-camera or off-panel mom would be like you know your face is going to freeze like that. Right, so that's right, kind right. of the mom mantra. Yep. And what happens if it really did? You know, because you're becoming evil. So yeah. first he gets the smile that won't go away. Mm-hmm. And his eyebrows get bushier and his ears get some pointy and some hair on there. Then he gets like kind of spooky nose. And then completely at the end when he's, oh, don't want to ruin the end. <laughs> he becomes, uh, you know, he gets his butt as horrible as he can. and. Yep. The, and what he ends up doing is like he's scary enough to scare the monster he's afraid of the yeah, monster. Yeah, it, it, it's great. It's a it's a great ending, and it and it wraps up really well. And you know, it, it's 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 so nice and self contained. That's the other thing about <clears throat> both of those specials that were really good, um, and they make for for great watching. I think. Um, you know, there are more and more Halloween type specials now than there used to be. For a long time, there was, you know, it's a, it's the Great Pumpkin, and that was it. But I think um, a lot more animated shows are doing. Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. But there's a lot more Halloween stuff out now, which is really cool. It's really nice to yeah, see. Well, I mean, I've always loved Halloween. From, I mean, if if you interviewed my mother, she was, like, oh, that kid, <laughs> Halloween and comics, man, man, you know, those are two things I you know, love the most, and finally got a chance to mix them yeah. together. Um, but it, what what I was trying to do is just just in, in Scary Godmother in general, just create something that I enjoyed. And while it's Halloween themed, uh, or and the characters are monsters, each you know the the books were each hardcover book was about Halloween. But the stories that I told since then, like there's eleven comics, mm-hmm. they're 
you know, it's like the Munsters or the Adams Family. It's these types of characters doing other things. So it's more the, um, because I've got a little town there and I've got like, you know, kind of a, a family of characters that all have different personalities and, you know, just because Scary Godmother's job is about Halloween and, you know, scary stuff and Bugaboo's job is definitely, you know, scaring kids mm-hmm. uh, under their bed, um, stuff happens to them that has nothing to do with right, Halloween itself. Right. Um, and that's what I, that's definitely what I wanted to do for, for the long term. And, you know, I like Halloween, so I want... I want Halloween to be well represented, and I wanted to do something that would be classic, that wouldn't mm-hmm. be confined by a certain cultural reference, right? Like year that you'd look back and go, yep. "Oh, that was so 2002," yep. Yep. or whatever. I wanted to be like, you know, more general and classic. Yeah, and, and um, I think it does that really well. So you can fall back and 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 also, you know, just. I'm sure that there are a lot of people that probably say, oh, this is so cute. But I just wanted to do something that was a bit, like, you know, I didn't want to do something Halloweenish that was, you know, like zombies and snakes coming <laughs> out of your eyes, which I like watching that kind of stuff, but I just like, no, I don't think I could sustain that for years and, and make it, you know, something that would be going in the children's book section. Mm-hmm. But I also was super sick and tired of seeing, you know, teddy bears Halloween. Oh, sure. It's like pink-cheeked, rosy, <laughs> you know, teddy bears trick-or-treating. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, I want to I want to jab forks into my eyes. I want, you know, there to be some monsters and some satire yeah. and some, you know, some sarcasm. Uh, so kids know that Halloween is fun and cool and creepy and it's good to be scared and appropriate to be afraid of <laughs> sometimes. There's nothing wrong with it and, you know... Everybody's got a skull in their head. Why should we scare the skeletons? And blah blah blah. And oh, well, it, it's great. Um, is there going to be another one? I would hope there would be another one. Yeah, I would love to do another one. Has Mainframe said anything to you yet? You probably can't talk about that. Well, well, technically, I, I, I think it it goes up the ladder of: Do fans want another one? Will they be? imploring Cartoon Network, then Cartoon Network will say, we want to have another one. Mm-hmm. And go to Mainframe and say, make us another one. <laughs> and then Mainframe will say, let's make another one. You know, it's like, it's, I think it's, you know, it's all about supply and demand, right? All right. So for all you listeners out there, this is a message to you. If you like this, contact the Cartoon Network and tell them we want more. Because I will. I definitely <laughs> what, I, what I found out is a lot of, I get a lot of letters from schools and libraries and and kids and it's wonderful and I'm like one I don't publish a book myself and two I don't make the cartoon by myself right and they're like please make us another one of these and it's like I don't know how to explain to you guys that I don't sit down at a desk and create this so yeah. it's like there's a lot of people involved so mm-hmm. let me try and steer you in the right direction if you yeah. really like it you should you know I think, I guess, the ratings show and then um, demand shows or, you know, if people are willing to sit down and write a letter that proves that it's not just me saying, everyone loves it, <laughs> that's the kind of um, 
response that networks and everybody are looking for. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I think we should wrap this up. This has been great. I thank you so much for giving me so much of your time so generously. This is really wonderful. Well, it took us forever to hook up. Well, <laughs> and you probably don't have enough memory on your computer to record all oh, the no, blah, have, blah, 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 I would like to do. I have a, I have a power book. It has oodles of memory. Um, this, <laughs> is, this is great. Um, so, again, I want to tell everybody, go and watch Scary Godmother 2 this weekend because they're probably showing it a lot on the Cartoon Network. And, From uh, what I know, I think that they were showing it. They're showing it Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Yeah. And I think three times on Monday. I know YTV <laughs> in Canada is getting it for the first time. All right. This weekend and on how it, on Halloween, but I I also don't know if that's changed since then. My information could be n- so out of date; it's not. Not accurate. Well, you know. you know, our listeners are very technically savvy, so just everybody go look it up on the internet. You can find it. I think Cartoon Network's television schedule might. Yes. Their, their, lo- their listings. And I know that everybody's local newspaper listings yeah. seems to have it properly. It's like your TiVo may have had it, mm-hmm. and somebody else's listings didn't, but people were finding it in their weekly newspaper because, like, that was always updated. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Well, That's thank what I've been told. Yeah. It's- Great. Well, thank you very much, and um, hopefully we'll get to talk again sometime soon. Happy Halloween. You too. Jill was so great to talk to. As you could tell, we were having a very good time. And I think I am going to have her back on the show to talk specifically about the comic books that she's done, because she's done an awful lot of comic books for Marvel and DC. And I think we could have a great conversation about that as well. So um, that was the first of many interviews to come. Um, This weekend, I am going to YaoiCon in San Francisco, and there will be some interviews there, and uh, I will probably have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, um, manga and gay porn and all sorts of things connected with that. So uh, there might be um, a special show sometime next week that's just about YaoiCon because I have a bunch of stuff to talk about too. Um, I need to get to some of the books that I've been reading and put some other stuff on the list. So um, have a happy Halloween, everybody. Don't eat too much candy. Um, Go to some parties and win some prizes. I once won a prize at a Halloween costume party. I went as a nun and I took a friend with me who also went as a nun. And I think the reason that we won the costume contest was that my friend who also went as a nun is a man and he hadn't shaved for about three days. 
So the two of us went, he with his um, three-day growth of beard, and we carried with us these long metal rulers that I had nicked from work. And um, people were scared of us. And I think that's why we won. And, you know, if you have to win a contest by scaring people, that's probably okay. And if it's a Halloween contest, people should be scared. So my advice is go out there, scare people at a party, and you'll win first prize. And I'll talk to you guys real soon. <laughs> 